0: there's been some, a lot of push for financial advisors to become more interested in financial wellness. And that's still not the, not the norm, but that's going to be the norm.
1: Today on Bridging the Gap, we're excited to have Craig Iskowitz. He's an innovative CEO and founder of the Ezra Group, a strategy consulting firm providing technology and business advice to banks, broker-dealers, asset managers, private equity, and fintech firms. Craig is a leader in WealthTech, someone I've been following for years. He's a popular blogger, podcast host, and a recognized thought leader in our industry. And today, we talk about the changes and in innovations of technology and how it has evolved, evaluating firms and their current technology. We talk about the innovator's dilemma and the evolution of The floppy disk. Yes, the floppy disk. Craig helps us to identify where to start when you want to become more process-oriented, the importance of good processes and procedures for everyone in your firm to utilize, and how to build good processes within our firms. This conversation will leave you excited to dig into your firm's current technology and find the best processes for your team. Join us for an awesome conversation with someone... That I'm stoked to have on this podcast, Craig Iskowitz. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Craig Iskowitz, how are you, sir? Thanks for joining us on Bridging the Gap. How are you doing?
0: Matt, fantastic.
1: Very good. Well, I'm excited to have you. I mean, I've I've been following your content and everything you've been putting out and your research for a while now. So it's a uh, you know, it's an honor. To me to have you on so thank you for for having that and you know i i'm curious just to kind of kick things off you know tell us a little about yourself where are you from where are you caught where are you kind of joining us from and how what led you to this kind of crazy world of consulting technology consulting and financial services
0: matt that's a really long story so i'll give you the abridged version <laughs> i'm from a, I'm a from a town known as oyster bay long island where I was born, but I was raised in New Jersey. So been in New Jersey a long time. Went to Rutgers and majored in computer science. So didn't expect to go into this direction. I really didn't know what I wanted to do except mess around with computers. Famous stories that I didn't. People knew me in, in college. I didn't really spend a lot of time in class. I spent more time hacking. And back then, this is so long ago. We didn't have really have a lot of PCs. It was all mainframe based. So I thought it was fun to spend time hacking on the uh, was called a VAX, from Digital Equipment Corp., was the main mainframe that we all use for our programming, uh, for our courses. And I thought it was fun to send people little email packages that would, um, they call them mail bombs, which basically would blow up their inbox, so they couldn't log in anymore. Because back then, storage space was, was a premium. You, know, you had X number of kilobytes of space, and once your email inbox was full, you couldn't log on. So I figured out a way to flood their emails, like, not even spam, just flooding it so they couldn't log on anymore, just to be fun. But yeah, so that was early hacking. Fortunately, I didn't really get too more involved in, uh, in doing those kind of things. But I probably could have spent a little bit more time in, in uh, going to class, which caused some problems when I got out, but managed to to overcome that after a couple of years. So the way, the way I got in, in, into this particular region or this particular niche was via automatic data processing, ADP, which is known for payroll. But at the time, they also had a business in brokerage. <clears throat> so they had a brokerage services group. They were buying up companies to offer real-time market data. That business was eventually sold to, to Reuters. And they had a back office business as well, clearing custody, as well as other types of uh, services, which they eventually spun off into Broadridge Financial. So that's where I got my experience at Wall Street, uh, working for firms. like We did the first rollout of Merrill Lynch, real-time market data, Shearson Lehman, which doesn't even exist anymore. Then we moved on to institutional firms, investment banks. We rolled out market data to the trading floors of Goldman Sachs, uh, Lehman Brothers, Solomon Brothers, a lot of other firms like that. So that's kind of where I got my experience, first experience on Wall Street and working with a lot of these firms. And then I worked there for almost 10 years and then became a consultant, joined a small consulting firm in midtown Manhattan. Uh, We call it a boutique, which is a marketing term for very, very small. We just focused on broker dealer platforms, any systems that broker dealers wanted. We did real time, we did uh, sell side research systems, trade capture, reporting, compliance. We did trading floor moves, whatever firms were were, wanted, we we did for them, and did that for three years. Then left there, and pretty much was an independent consultant until I started Ezra Group in two thousand and five, which is really we we just focus on wealth management technology. So that's all we really been doing. This is our seventeenth year. And we work with a mix of firms. Half our clients are broker-dealers and very large RIAs who want help with technology strategy, vendor evaluations, uh, software implementations. The other half of our clients are the fintechs that provide to them. So firms like Morningstar or uh, Investnet uh, or Ryan, uh, Riskalyze. So they come to us for product strategy, other types of, 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 of product work because so we're, 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 we're acknowledged experts. In wealth management, understanding what firms need. To. Firms also come to us if they're really big in the RIA space and want to go to broker dealers. They want to know what do enterprise firms want. What are the features that are missing from their platform? What are their competitors doing? What are the buying decisions? And vice versa. Hey, we sell really big software. How do we repackage it for RIA's? So those kind of things uh, keep us busy.
1: I mean, so you've been. I mean, you've been across the spectrum of kind of technology within this space? I mean, from the early days to then, even when you just started Ezra Group 17 years ago, you've seen just a massive change in the way that technology is adopted and the evolution of it. Uh, I'd be curious, you know, kind of rewinding back to your early days, can you highlight maybe two or three of those major differences that you see today relative to when you all first started Ezra Group, you know, 17 years ago with regards to how technology, is being used and implemented, and also built today versus versus then.
0: Well, just going back, if you go way back, when I started as a group, it was just the beginning of cloud-based systems, right? Salesforce had just started, so cloud-based is probably the biggest change. Where in 2005, everything was local. You installed servers locally. And when I worked at ADP, even before that, even the there was no real internet. You didn't just plug into the, the internet like you do now. We had to run dedicated circuits to each client. We had to build our. We basically built our own internet by building out hubs. You know, paying AT and T uh, and other vendors to build out their own data centers in in major cities like you know New York, Chicago, L, San Francisco, L.A., Dallas. Each one had a, had an ADP hub that we would then run a dedicated circuit to each client's office to, in order to deliver. Their their market data, their you know the, the news like Dow Jones news you paid for, no one pays for that now it's it's free. Well you had to pay a subscription fee to get Dow Jones news or Reuters news, and that came through our pipes, right? So, but since since Ezra Group, two thousand and five, you know the cloud based abilities to, to to leverage virtual machines and spin up new servers quickly, and take advantage of uh, all this infrastructure, uh, which allows startups to launch. Very quickly, without having to buy their own, buy a lot of heavy equipment and, and set things up, it's much quicker now. And also, it deploys things deploy quicker. You know, we used to do a lot of installations because we had to send people out to the sites. You know, we went out to each 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 branch to install software. You don't have to do that anymore. It's all delivered remotely, so it it makes it reduces a lot of costs. It makes it much easier. We used to have to build create floppy disks to send out to update software. And mail them out, FedEx them out to every office, and upload, put it, put the put the, put the files, put the the disks into the server in this order. So, <laughs> right, so that that was still happening, or or sending out DVDs in, the, in early two thousand. We still would do that. So, the, so the cloud has really revolutionized a lot of that. Another big change is APIs, being able to integrate and send data between applications, which was always a pain in the ass, and now having um, much and again that links to the cloud as well since everything's in the cloud it's easier to send data between the systems um, since they're all all virtual uh, and that and that makes integration a lot easier it makes it makes the, the advisor's workflow a lot smoother it enables more holistic views of the client so th- those are probably two of the biggest changes and then, then mobile is probably the third that now everything's available on mobile everyone wants things via mobile people manage a lot of their financial lives. Uh, via mobile, uh, there's still some things that you don't do on mobile, but that's changing. You know, I'm sure everything will be there soon. So those are probably the three biggest. And, and I,
1: I think when you get to that point, right, everything's mobile. You think about APIs, you think about everything in the cloud, right? Those are just some of the, the like some of the major trends that have changed, kind of just technology as a whole as well. You know, when you go in to evaluate firms, right? When you go in to start helping them identify opportunities. I mean, where where do you even start, right? Because the the ecosystem has gotten so broad, and you know, firms have a little bit of slow. They're slower to adopt, at least in this industry, than others. How do you kind of help firms evaluate and and make those changes? Because I think it like I think about like a big broker dealer. They've got to still be on antiquated technologies and not moved over. And that type of shift seems to be, you know, drastic for them.
0: It the, the answer is it depends, but in. In, in most cases, our first step is, is what we call a current state assessment. That's almost what we always do in every project. What do you got? Because most of the time, the client doesn't know what they have. If we're talking about enterprise wealth firms, whether it's a broker dealer or a very large RIA, and a lot of RIA's are looking more like broker dealers in terms of their structure. They're building home offices. They're centralizing investment management. They're turning. They're turning their advisors and more into sales people. Uh, and less like a, a distributed group of of advisors, they're still doing advice, of course, but they're they're centralizing it more. So it's just they're not Finra, they're more SEC, but they're still structured in a very similar fashion. What so we do our current state assessment because we need to get an understanding of the lay of the land, what's going on, and there's no, it's it's not any one thing because it depends on what they bring us in for. If they bring us into deploy new billing, new billing software that would have a different, we'd be working with different parts of the organization than if they bring us in to deploy advisor compensation software or portfolio management software. We'd be working with different parts of the, of the company and, and doing different evaluations and different software will be involved. And also, different software ha- provides different return on investment for the for the firm and they have more or less likelihood of spending money in that area. So we've seen companies that and also, the when a broker dealer, if, if they've been the subject of many mergers, they've been buying up a lot of smaller firms. That tends to create more tech debt, which they're loath to remove, because a lot of times with with technology, you can throw bodies at it, and to support it and to keep it going. And if it's not going to generate revenue, a lot of broker dealers don't want to spend the money on it. So we may say, look, you've got ten advisor comp systems that are all running; they're redundant. And three of them, you don't have the code for anymore. If they break, what are you going to do? Eh, let's we'll hire a couple more ops people. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. Whereas portfolio management software, they're, they're, there's less likely to be multiple systems. Usually there's only one. Unless there's, mul- could, unless there's multiple parts of the business, we have seen some broker dealers where they'll have by program. So they're a mutual fund wrap might be one vendor, their unified managed account might be another vendor, and their advisor-directed might be a third vendor. That's rare, but not unheard of.
1: I mean, it seems that and I mean this. You see this on all all corporations. I, I'm just interested. I know you spent majority of your career in financial services, but is that just normal with how large corporations handle technology? They'll throw, continue to throw more and more people at it. But that, I guess, just kind of with the trend with hiring and the difficulty to find good people, that's got to be shifting a little bit to where corporations you're just going to eventually run out to where you can't support it by just throwing bodies at it anymore, or it just eats at margins so much. Or is that just in financial services, or do you see that along all businesses and how is the hiring situation do you think going to impact that at all, if at all?:
0: Well again, we only do, we only do wealth management, uh, wealth and asset management in, at, at Ezra Group. And I've been in financial services for over 30 years, so I can't speak to other industries, although human nature is similar, and, and business is similar. You don't spend money on things that you don't think is going to have the right have enough ROI. And people in general will buy a technology. That r- increases revenue way quicker than they'll buy something that reduces expenses. Yeah, that's yeah. just human nature of sales. We see that in in wealth management and financial services as well. I mean, certainly, certainly do want to spend. Everyone wants to save money, but they're more likely to spend money to make money rather than spend money to save money. Just the just right. a generic sales process.
1: So yeah, so you're mentioning that you know firms will, will buy technology to spur revenue. Mm-hmm. Of course, right? That's that's what that's what everybody worries about, focuses on. There's always headlines out there and people talk about how financial services are slow to adopt technology, we're behind the curve, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What's your opinion on that? Are we really behind the curve? Have we caught up? Are we still, I mean, are we still kind of playing catch up? And do you think we'll ever catch up? Does it even matter for for that standpoint?
0: Are you know, there, there, there's something called the innovator's dilemma yeah. which is what you see in every every industry that that the, the firms that become successful, by definition, have to grow a bureaucracy. You can't run a firm without it. So you've got to you've got to create a huge bureaucracy, and bureaucracies are not innovative. Bureaucracies suppress innovation, and so by definition, if you're a successful company, you're not. It's it's very difficult to stay innovative, and it's very difficult to stay on the cutting edge because you have to justify. Now, if if you're a small company, the the CEO can say, "I want to buy this." Let's see if it works. When you're a billion dollar company, well, you might have people you got to go through. The CFO's got to be involved. The CTO's got to be involved. The CIO, this guy, that guy. You know, we got to make a decision. And why should we do this? And and this is too cutting edge. So they're less likely to take a chance on cutting edge tech. But does that necessarily mean they're going to be unsuccessful? No. They can still make a lot of money. If you look at the biggest firms in our industry, there's most of the money is is, is with them, whether they're broker dealers like the wirehouses have all of the assets, have a, l- a large percentage, and the top 10 broker-dealers have 80% of the assets. Hmm. The same with RIAs. I think it's, someone should fact-check me, I think it's 15% of the RIAs control 85% of the assets. And now we, we do these, their tech evaluations all the time. They're using technology that, they're not using all cutting-edge tech. A lot of it's old, you know, in air quotes, old, because most of, our, most of the technology that's successful in our industry is old. I'm not going to throw any all the biggest technology, all the biggest vendors and RAA platforms, financial planning, you know, uh, CRM have been around 15, 20 years. So does that mean it's bad technology? No. Does that mean they should throw it away and buy the latest thing? No. Uh, So there's no such thing as necessarily being behind in tech. Now there is a thing in terms of the back office, uh, and more of the, the, the bigger platforms that say, well, it's they're using an older system. But it's more the, what we find is much more important is the processes and procedures than the technology. If you've got bad processes, even the best technology is not going to help. If you've got really great processes, your technology isn't as important. You can get, you can get by and you can get around issues. And also, you know, to, to, to add to that, there's so much technology out there. There's so many different categories of technology. So you could be behind on – you could be using a very old portfolio management platform – And that doesn't really affect you as much because you've got all your client-facing tools are new. Mm -hmm. So everything the clients interact with, their client portal, any other tools and meetings and other kinds of plannings and calendars and scheduling or reporting can all be new. So the clients don't know you've got older stuff in the back end. And then maybe the older stuff is still working. So there's so many different categories, so many different ways to bring in technology and so many ways to be ahead or behind. There's no one right or wrong answer there.
1: There's a few things I want to go into, but before I forget, I want to ask this thing. I mean, I know you work with with Michael Kitsis on the, the the landscape, fintech landscape. It's ginormous now. It's huge, right? It's and
0: 308 312 vendors.
1: What was oh. it when y'all What was it when y'all began?
0: Michael put out the first version, I think in 2017. It was probably 45 or 50. I don't. I don't. I have the. I have the screenshot of it. I don't know. I didn't count how many. But so how do you
1: how do you view that growth? Is that good or bad for the industry? And you know, to your point, right? I, I know that that's it, it can be targeted more towards smaller firms than maybe you work with. But you have a pulse on the entire industry, big, mm-hmm. small, fast growing, slow growing. How do you view that? Is that and if they're if they're if they have great processes and they don't need new technology, what does that mean then for the industry? Because there's firms trying to innovate, as we can see by the explosion of that map.
0: Well, you're asking a number of questions at the same time. Matt. Which <laughs> one should I answer first? All,
1: so, just go whichever one you, is
0: on top all, of your mind first. The adding more products is good. I've, I, I give presentations, um, and keynote speeches, and one of my keynotes includes innovation and saying that we don't innovate fast enough in wealth management because there aren't enough failures. If you're innovating fast, there've got to be failures. You can't innovate. If you're not really innovating, if you're not really, what's the word? If, um, if half the people in the room don't think the, your idea is totally nuts, it's not an innovative idea. And if you're not taking a chance and a risk, then it's not really innovative. So I, I have a slide that talks about the Google Graveyard. It's a website that shows all the products Google has killed over the years, over the last 20, whatever, 25 years since. And it's, it's, I think there's 160 products or something. Someone should, should check that. Uh, it's a lot because they try stuff. Even for, it might Sometimes it lasts for six months, sometimes six years, and they cancel it because it's not working. We don't do that very much. Very few firms go under. A lot of firms are acquired, so there's a fair amount of MA, but not a lot of failure because people aren't really trying such innovative stuff necessarily. Uh, another thing I, w- I learned that there's always room for one more. I wrote an article three years ago called 50 Portfolio Management Systems Can't All Survive. Because there, were, at the time, there were 50 Portfolio Management Systems for Wealth Managers. How can you support so many? There's only so many RIAs. There's only so many broker-dealers. They already have a Portfolio Management System. It's hard to get them to switch. There's a lot of inertia there. How can they make enough money? And sure enough, like the next week, another one came up. Right. They just keep they keep coming out. So every category, there's always room for more because people have new ideas, they have different ways of looking at things. And sure, technology changes. There is an advantage to being new in some cases, not in every case, because once you're stuck on old tech, you it's the it's the the, the, the pain of being the legacy provider that you have to suffer through or suffer through, you have all these clients you have to support. Because you've been successful. So more and more of your development time and development effort is spent managing what your client base wants, not what the next client wants. So by definition, you can't be as innovative as a startup that's got no clients, and they can just build whatever they want and then try to find someone who, can, who wants to use it. So there's always room for one more in the, in the map, and, and I, I would, I would want to see way more. Like If you look at this, there's a, a famous map for marketing technology. It's just MarTech. It started out with 3,000, 3, not 300, three hundred, three thousand logos. That was a couple of years ago. It's now up to ten thousand. They have ten thousand logos on one page. And it's really, it's really, it's like a, like looking at the the Earth from space and drilling down to see an ant. So, so we're only at three hundred. We're, we're nowhere near full yet. But,
1: but I mean, is I mean, you think about marketing technology, right, Martech? Because I know the chart that you're looking, that you're referencing. Mm-hmm and you think of martech versus wealth tech there's just a bigger audience or bigger pool bigger pool to your point about portfolio management systems i mean they can't we can't stay even if we got to a thousand like is there a thousand i mean we're such a risk averse industry i just a thousand technologies in wealth tech is that even possible sure there's enough of an opportunity there's enough of uh, enough of you know, whatever you want to call it, in the industry, right? T-
0: a thousand logos on the map now. Remember, we don't duplicate logos uh, necessarily, unless the pro- unless the product is sold separately. But we have Michael also started the Advisor Tech Directory, which is a database of vendors where we can list every secondary category. So, for example, Investnet's only on there once or twice. Orion's only on there once or twice, but they have. Portfolio management, rebalancing, trading, reporting, billing, compliance, client portal, but we don't have them in every single category on the map. So if you did that, then you'd really be, be seriously saying, well, it's, it's basically, basically the, you'd, have, you'd have a lot more. So we're artificially keeping the number low because if the same vendor has multiple products, we're only showing it once. But in the, in the Advisor Tech directory, you can do a search and show me all the reporting vendors and Orion and Investnet and, and Morningstar and, and, and Black Diamond will appear in that list of reporting, even though on the reporting box on the map, they don't show up. Fair
1: enough. That makes sense. So you, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, if you have good processes and procedures, it doesn't matter the technology you use. Uh, within it, reason, it, Yeah, me, within yes. reason, within I mean, right, within reason, how you know, and you start with process and procedures. That's the foundation of any good, successful firm. So mm-hmm. when you all go in on a consulting basis, do you all help with building processes and procedures on that side
0: of it? Absolutely. And, this is one if, of the biggest things we
1: do. So how can you, because I think that a lot of firms right now, especially in this, we're in this, I, I see us in a stage of opera, operationalization where firms are moving from Gen 1 to Gen 2, where the the, the Gen 2 is more service oriented. They're looking to operationalize, scale, create capacity and create processes and procedures. Can you give some tips to firms that are looking and RI wealth management firms that are looking to become more process oriented, where do you even start in that way? How to build
0: good processes? Well, when you say Gen One, Gen Two, you mean RIAs? RIAs, yeah. So yeah. most of the firms we work with are enterprise, so they've they've already done that. They've already moved past the hey, it's a sole proprietor, and I've added a couple people, and I'm a, I'm going to hire someone to take over and do succession planning. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a bit of a different size firm. Are there seventeen thousand SEC registered firms? We only really focus on the top 15% in terms of RIAs. But any firm can have good processes. And it, it's all about writing things down. If you want to make it really simple, what is your process? If, if, whether you're a solo practitioner or you know you have three or five to five advisors together or you're a $10 billion uh, RIA that's PE backed and you're buying up RIAs left and right to grow, you still need to process. And the best way to do it is to start writing it down. Well, how do we do things? And then showing everyone and putting it some and then updating it once a year. And also, but the important part is getting everyone together, right? When we, when we provide a report, most of our projects have a PowerPoint is usually the, out, the the standard output, but that's not what we're selling. You know, the PowerPoint is just the results of what we did. It's, it's all of the training and understanding and learning and facilitating, getting everyone in the same room and say, how are you doing this? How are you doing your billing system? Well, we do it this way for this client and this way for this client and these kind of clients this way. Well, do you want to keep that or do you need three separate systems or three separate processes? Are they really that different? No, they're more like they're more the same. We could probably put them together. That would make it more efficient if you had one process with a couple different exceptions rather than three processes. So it's, it's we've never walked into a, a client and found everything working great. It's, it's there's always a lot of issues going on there's always i didn't know you did that did you you do that you do that too i didn't realize we did this for this client because things everyone's working as fast as they can everyone just wants to get things done it's very rare that people update the documentation or even that they have documentation even having a, a tech stack documented is is rare show me your tech stack well this is like 5 years old well what do you have now let's update it and see what you got going you know so that's something we also do is, is, is document the tech stack. What do you got and how does it fit together? Mm-hmm. Which, which, which systems are talking to, to which other systems? We do an integration map. Which systems are sending data to other systems? And you, that's always a discovery. We're always loading new stuff. And they're loading new stuff too. Right, the client's always learning that. And they, we didn't know you talked to that. We didn't know you sent a file over here. Because <laughs> Again, at uh, any company, it's, it's, not, it's a snapshot when you walk in. That company's been morphing and evolving over, it could be 20 years. The same people are not there anymore who started it. The same people are not there anymore who launched a particular application or chose a particular integration, and no, people don't remember why they did it or how it even works. So,
1: so to that point, this actually this is uh, something that came up in a conversation I had with another advisory firm recently about updating because they're like, we got all these processes, but we can't find them and we never update them. And how I mean what are when you go into these large enterprises right how do you go about helping them organize that to where everybody can access it right I think about firms today it's like oh it's on my shared drive just go into the share drive they're all there and everybody's like I don't even know how to get to the share drive so what you said updating them on once a year basis so that's like a probably a, like a beginning of the year review of all the processes and update them but where do you store them to have it easily accessible so everybody new employees current employees can find it what's your strategy there
0: well, there's no one, again, no one right answer. Everyone's different depending on how they, how they want to manage that type of stuff. It's, it, a share drive, is nothing, there's nothing wrong with a share drive as long as everyone can get to it. You could have we, We've built portals, internal portals for some broker-dealers where it's, it's not like a client portal, but it's internal portal. So it'll have a list of all of the, you have to have a, a link. Here's all of our documents. Here's all of our offices. Here's how you open a trouble ticket. Here's him. So it has all the internal processes you need in, in a portal. You can use SharePoint. You can use Salesforce. You can use, there's lots of tools that provide those capabilities. It can be OneDrive. It can be, you know, Box.com. Well, it doesn't really matter. As long as everyone knows where it is and you keep it in a dire- directory, that's fine. But you just have to make, a, make a, a rule in the company that everyone's got to follow this process. And right. if you don't, you need, we need to know why you didn't. Because in some cases, it can in, in negatively impact a client or open us up to, Uh, regulatory risk if you didn't follow the process a certain way.
1: So you mentioned there's, I have a couple more questions before we just wrap up with my, my general out going away questions for everybody going away party questions. But um, I want to touch on APIs because I mean, you've written a lot about APIs. You talk about it. You talked about it earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, this industry, it it hinges on data, right? And data, people love to own the data, right? I think about banks and the APIs, you think about Europe versus America, the U S and, how they're a lot more. They have more structure on it. Where here we have so many community banks, and it's hard to just get aggregation data. That's like a, this you know dirtiest thing to do right now. How getting data? What is the future of that? Why is it so difficult? And. Is everybody going to open it up eventually or is it kind of, is it still going to be this like cat and mouse game that some people want to own certain data points because they want to keep that control? What is going to, because we need those to open up, I think, to create even more greater innovation and exponential innovation going forward. I'd just be curious to your thoughts on on APIs and and how that infrastructure looks today and what's going to need to be done.
0: Well, we need to divide, to separate the two concepts. APIs and data aggregation are very different. So an API is a programmatic interface that allows two applications to share information. So my CRM and my portfolio management system, if I have an API, this CRM can send a message to the portfolio management system saying, what's this client's current total assets? And it'll pull that data and then store that. That's an API. If you're talking about getting data from other, other custodians through data aggregation, that's a different process. So if you, if you look at the, the biggest companies in that, in that area, whether it's Yodaly, the old Quova, which is now Plaid, by All Accounts, eMoney. So they set up feeds. They used to do screen scraping. They used to get the client's credentials and log on to every single client's custodian and then pull the data but by what's called screen scraping, where you're looking at the screen and, and copying data off the screen. That's slowly been changing to a direct feed where they go to a bank and say, look, we, we're, our clients want the data. Let's set up an agreement where we can pull the data as long as we can provide that, hey, we've got those clients. And you send it in a feed, which is much more efficient, much more efficient. So that's not an API. And that's set up by the data aggregation vendors to provide that information to their clients.
1: So that, so that's fair. And so I guess let's let's take that question a different route, right? For on the API side, right, there's still an ownership of data in terms of, whether they want to be fully open for APIs, right? You think about some of the financial planning softwares today, et cetera, even the custodians, they're starting to migrate over to more APIs because everything was delivered via flat files, but you couldn't get all of the data from there. Is is it going to come into where every technology in the industry is going to need to have open APIs to be relevant? Because I still think that some of them are a little bit more closed off than others. It, it, financial planning comes to mind right away a little bit, whereas like Salesforce, they're like, hey, go and innovate. Here's everything. Go figure out what else you can do on our platform and make it good. But not everybody in our industry. and all, If you look at all three to 400 of those companies on, your, on the fintech map, they're just not doing that necessarily right now.
0: So to restate your question is, will all firms have to have open APIs for all their data?
1: Will the industry force it, right? Will, will firms and companies, in order for them to have everything flow between each other, because it helps make firms more efficient in their processes as well.
0: Well, it's the clients that are going to force it. So it's it's the the client firms are forcing it. So that's definitely happening. Yes, we're definitely seeing that. Some of the biggest firms were def- were anti-APIs, anti-integration for many years, because they saw it as, as you mentioned, as a threat. Like if they can get my data, they, I, they don't need me. So there was, a, there was a, a pushback from some of the biggest firms, but that's changed because clients are demanding it. Clients saying, look, I want your data over here. I want your data over there. I don't care if you don't want it. You either do it or you're out. And that, that changed a lot of firms' decision making and say, we have to be open. And, and the other trend that happened everywhere was software as a service, which was enabled by cloud infrastructure, virtual machines. A lot of the tools that are available that you could deliver software through the cloud quickly, efficiently, effectively. You're spinning up new machines as and 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 and, and winding them down as demand required. Now that enabled the software as a service, so that everything can be a service. There's banking as a service. There's going to be wealth management as a service. So everything will be delivered that way, and. It's because that's where the where the clients are going, where clients are demanding it. More uh, broker dealers are realizing that they want to own the user interface. There's more firms building out. They don't want to own the plumbing or the underneath stuff, the portfolio accounting, portfolio management, the actual how the CRM works or the financial planning tools. But they want to own the client experience and the advisor experience. So they say, well, we're going to build a front end. You got to have APIs. And actually, financial planning tools. We've been doing API management and API evaluations for over a decade, Money Guy Pro eMoney were some of the first to have a broad range of, of integrations available and well-documented on their website. Back in 2009, they were they were like leaders and ahead of the game, way before anyone else did. So that's something we're trying to push, just as Ezra Group, push more openness and transparency in integrations across the whole advisor tech map, because it's very difficult to know who integrates with who. Because mm-hmm. there's there's not a lot of transparency there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I want to. I one more question before we get into going away ones. But we meant we started the podcast off talking about how we've evolved over the last 17 years. And you talked about APIs, the cloud, and mobile being some of the. You know, since you started the Azure group, I, I want you just to put your futuristic hat on and look out in the future. What does it look like 17 years from now? Right? How is it going to be different? You can say specific or how does it feel different? How does it look? from your perspective.
0: How will wealth management, wealth management
1: technology, wealth management industry with technology. yes, Wealth
0: management tech. Well, I'm hoping it becomes more ubiquitous and that it's going to be built into everything. Mm -hmm. So if it's wealth management as a a service, any other application you use can have a wealth management component. And why is it, why is it all separated? Why don't we have everything in one place? Well, why is insurance over here and our assets are over here and our liabilities are over there. So, Bringing everything together into more of a holistic viewpoint and a holistic delivery, that'll become ubiquitous, where everyone's going to have everything. There, and, and you know, there's been some a lot of push for financial advisors to become more interested in financial wellness, and that's still not the not the norm, but that's going to be the norm, where the advisor will be more of a life coach, and there'll be there'll be almost no advisors who just manage assets, because that'll be that'll be seen as passe. Where you don't, what about everything else, right? Which, which seems to make sense now, if you don't know what my insurance needs are, if you don't know what my liabilities, my spending is, how can you possibly help me with my investments? Uh, if you don't know who I am as a person, if you don't know what my needs are, if you, if you haven't you know, looked at you know, the, in much more detail about who I am. So that's going to link into a lot of other data to, to understand um, more about clients. And some firms are doing that, but it's still, still piecemeal, so it's going to change.
1: That's incredible. I agree. The financial wellness, the the kind of that life coach concept, right? And being able to interact with more of the service providers, having it more integrated together as part of that ecosystem of that hub, and letting the advisor be the person that runs that hub as opposed to being the person that runs just the investment side of it. So Craig, I want to be really cautious of your time. And I'm really gracious and grateful for you giving mm-hmm. us time. Two Don't questions go. I like to ask everybody at the end. I'll ask them one back to back is first, What's a book that's out there that you think that everybody listening to the podcast should go out and, and read right away? And, you know, if, I know you, you've written a lot. So if you have your own book, let's, you can promote that one. But one that's not a book of yours.
0: I do not have a book. I have a blog. Yet.
1: Yet you, you're, You'll write one, right?
0: Oh, uh, I don't know. But the, I, the book I would choose would be The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz.
1: I want to know, I I love that book. That's a personal favorite. Can you just give a quick tidbit on why you suggest that book? Because it is incredible.
0: Well, as someone who's running a company, a small company and trying to grow, hearing his trials and tribulations of doing the same thing, and he gives a lot of advice for leaders of companies, what they should and shouldn't do, how they can grow their business, how they should work with people, how they can structure things and organize and and what mistakes you want to avoid, I think is really helpful.
1: Yeah, it's a great one. All right, in the last question. And I, I kind of got this one from Barons at their conferences. They always ask all their speakers, what's one piece of actionable advice for our listeners to take from you? What would be a piece of actionable advice uh, that you can give to our listener base? About anything? About anything. About anything.
0: Get outside and exercise, man. Don't sit around all day. Don't sit <laughs> and on your butt. You got to move. Whatever it is, I don't care what kind of things you do. You want to go dancing, go dancing. You want to go running, go running. You want to row? You want to walk. Just got out and do something because that's that's the best medicine is exercise i
1: love it i love it craig eskowitz thank you so much for uh, your time and your insights and everything that you do for the industry and for technology in the industry really appreciate you thank you
0: Matt. thank you i appreciate what you're doing having me on thanks for tuning into this week's episode of bridging the gap don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think